It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Welcome to the podcast. He's Lauren. And he's Scott. Let's get into it. Today's movie, we are going to be talking about number 92 on AFI's Top 100 American Films list, which is Martin Scorsese's classic Goodfellas. Yes. So, but before we get to that, um, Scott, have you seen any good or, I suppose, bad movies recently? I have. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) I've seen a collection of remakes, reboots, and terrible movies. Um... The first one, I don't even know how to go about this. Uh, all right, first, let's talk about remakes. Um, okay. The Thing and Footloose. I saw both of these in the theater. Um, I saw The Thing by myself and Footloose with a couple of friends. Um, I, I kind of want to compare these two because, to me, it's very interesting. Because The Thing... Um, have you seen John Carpenter's original The Thing from like the early 80s? You know what? I, I have not. Okay, so this is going to be your conversation. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, it's a re- it's actually a really decent um, kind of sci-fi horror film. I'm not a huge fan of horror um, for various reasons, but uh, that one kind of works for me, and it's still it's still a really pretty decent movie. I'd still recommend it if you're kind of in the mood for something a little bit scary and something very sci-fi. Um, and that movie is basically about up in the Antarctic. There is a uh, a base camp that gets attacked by some kind of creature that can. Um, basically turn itself into whatever it wants to. It usually takes the form of the last thing that it killed. So it's the original movie was kind of like, it was scary, but it was also kind of like this slight commentary on the Cold War with, you know, you don't know who the, you know, the, the enemy is. Um, and the movie begins with the knowledge that there was this Norwegian camp that was attacked and destroyed by this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is about that camp. So, um, it starts off the first, I would say the first 10 minutes, no, take that back. The first 40 minutes and the last 10 minutes are completely a prequel. It's like, it's completely a new, new situation, a new uh, series of events. And it helps explain what happened and it adds to the story. But everything in the middle was very frustrating because it, it felt like a remake, like almost completely like going through the same kind of situations. Um, the people figuring out the aliens weakness and attacking it. And maybe that's just part of the problem of making any kind of sequel or prequel Mm -hmm. is that you have to follow a lot of the same kind of rules of, of the original movie. But like the middle section just feels like a remake as opposed to adding anything to the story. So if you're a fan of the original, check it out. I mean, but if not, Nah, you can pass on it. It's not a big deal. Footloose, on the other hand, um, what fascinated me about Footloose is I'm a fairly big fan of the original that starred Kevin Bacon and John Lithgow. Um, And we went and saw it, and I was really expecting it just to be a shot-by-shot remake. And for a lot of part, for a lot of it, it is like the opening sequence and the closing sequence are completely the original movie. They've just added a slight bit of context, but. This, in my opinion, and I don't know what kind of flack I could get for this, in my opinion, this is the rare remake that is actually better than the original. Um, they, while telling almost completely the same story with the same type of characters and the same characters, they um, they flesh out this community. And it really, you know, living in the South, living in a fairly uh, conservative community myself, I can completely see this happening. Like at the beginning of the movie, you see um, there's this car accident that uh, several teenagers die in and they've been out all night partying. And so the community in response cracks down on um, minors partying. Basically they say, all right, we're definitely, you know, there's going to be a curfew. We don't want any kind of dancing. We don't want any of this or this or this without the proper people, you know, being there to supervise. And it makes sense. And they, they flesh out the community so well that it feels like a different movie and it actually you despite knowing from the beginning exactly how it's going to end um kelly and i and a couple of our friends we couldn't help but completely just get caught up in it and it's it's a lot of fun it's just a fun movie with you know um great music it's directed by the guy who directed um hustle and flow and black snake moan and so he brings a real southern gritty feel to the movie like the music feels authentic and it 
it's not just country music. It's like it's country, it's bluegrass. There's a little bit of jazz thrown in there. There's like some rap and some funk and just like a bunch of stuff that wasn't really in the original movie. And so um, I really enjoyed Footloose. I can say that very unabashedly. I would recommend it to just about anybody. <laughs> nice. Um, and in the vein of remake um, is Rise of the Planet of the Apes, um, which I cannot recommend enough to anybody in the world. <laughs> it is they they pulled it off so smartly. I mean, it's definitely a movie about apes. You mm-hmm. kind of have to get behind that. But this movie is a reboot prequel. It's like it. This movie allows them to completely start the Planet of the Apes franchise over again, if they would like. If they don't want to, it does fit pretty nicely right into the um, the Charlton Heston Planet of the Apes franchise. I don't know if they... I assume that's the franchise they want to go into, not the Tim Burton remake a couple years ago. Um, but it, it, it just tells the story very, very interestingly, and it kind of leaves... It has in it a scene that I have not stopped thinking about since I saw it. The scene is so shocking and so surprising and just so chilling that I'm not going to say anything more about it because to describe it would make it actually sound a little bit silly. Um, and I, because I've tried to, I've tried to find a good way to describe this scene, um, but it is a scene that's probably going to stick with me for a while. And that's to me, a hallmark of a good movie, something that you can walk away and you remember. And it's a very thrilling, just sci-fi thriller, I would say. Um, and I would really, I'd recommend it. It's a really good movie. Andy Serkis, once again, doing motion capture for monkeys and, uh, James Franco is in it. And I don't hold that against the movie, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's really, really good. Uh, John Lithgow is in it and he just breaks your heart. He's this man, um, suffering from uh i want to say it's alzheimer's and he's fantastic and it's just the whole movie i was just shocked at how how much i enjoyed it i walked in going "Eh, it's the two dollar theater my expectations aren't high i hope it's entertaining and i walked out going i hope they make more of these i want to see the planet of the apes with this technology with these characters this is really pretty fantastic um last movie i saw and um it's a movie that i think could I think it was supposed to start a lot of discussion and debate, um, and I don't know how much of it we want to get into here, <laughs> but um, I saw Red State. Um, I didn't pay to see it. It's on Netflix streaming, so if anybody wants to watch it, if you have Netflix, you can watch it for free. Um, it's, it's Red State, or as I like to call it, Kevin Smith shows up to an important discussion and has nothing to contribute, <laughs> but that doesn't stop him from running his trap. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just a mess of a movie. It, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of a lot of the movies we saw other film students make when we were in film school. You know, it's just a collection of scenes that really don't add up to anything. And there are, I guess you could call them twists in the story, but it's more just like illogical jumps in narrative. It's just like, oh, and now here's this character and this thing and there's no protagonist in the story there's nobody for you to feel sorry for there's nobody for you to root for you just kind of hate everybody and it's not um it's not put together in a way where you walk away going oh we're all antagonists in this world we all are you know at fault for this um problem or this conversation we're all bad guys in this it's not even done well enough for you to walk away feeling that it's you just walk away going so that happened. Um, okay, you know it's like the like the the message of the movie seems to be um, people do strange things when they believe stuff, you know, and you just go. And it's just it's just such a non-statement that I really wish that um, I don't know. It's not that I wish it did, hadn't been made, but I kind of wish it had been made ten years ago because ten years ago it might have carried some weight um, because this is I mean. For those of you who don't know, um, it's this is it's very much kind of Kevin Smith's attack at Fred Phelps, um, that uh, rather despicable preacher um, who likes to protest uh, funerals of soldiers and of uh, of gay men and women. And so this is kind of his attack on them. But he takes it to such a he demonizes Fred Phelps so much, and he's not Fred Phelps, but he's a Fred Phelps like character. Um, he demonizes him so much 
that he actually ends up doing the same thing that Fred Phelps is doing. So it's like it's not helping the situation by making him even more evil because in this movie, Fred Phelps is also a murderer and a kidnapper and somebody who does these other things. And it starts off ridiculous and it ends with like a, a Ruby Ridge Waco type shootout at the end. And it's the whole thing is just... It's just a mess, and I really wouldn't recommend it to anybody. The only people I think who can, who would might, who might be interested in it, are people like me who are like, "Oh, look, Kevin Smith made a movie that's not a comedy. I wonder what he did," um, because he's always done very crass kind of comedies in the past. Some, some of which have been I, you know, I still like. I, I will still kind of say that. Uh, Chasing Amy and Dogma are pretty decent movies that have kind of something to say if you can get past the, the some of the rated R comedy. Um, but this, it's just, it's not for anybody. It doesn't say anything, and I can't really imagine anybody who's taking this argument seriously uh, would really appreciate anything that's said here. So, pass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, I've seen a couple of things here in the last couple of weeks since our previous podcast and um the first thing that i saw this last weekend um my wife and i went and saw in time um and uh this is of course the um the movie where um time is a currency and uh you know there's kind of a freedom fighter who who rises up to to fight against the tyranny of the wealthy who are taking the time away from the uh those with much less time is it i had a a question since you've seen it is Mm -hmm. it is it supposed to be a like a world that we are heading towards is like a future earth or is it almost just a parable fantasy you know what i'm saying it you know it doesn't specifically ever state um it it it, the way they they produce it, it it certainly feels um, like it could be a future reality that we're headed towards. Um, the way it starts, um, there's a there's a short voiceover um, that basically says something like, um, uh, "We've been genetically altered. Um, that uh, once we reach the age of 21 or 25 or whatever it was, um, we stop aging." Um, but we also, um, start running out of time and that's basically the only setup the movie gives you. Um, and, and that's fine. I mean, it actually works really well for the movie. It, it never, Logan's run sort of a thing. Yeah. It never, it never explicitly says, you know, you know, in the year 2,500 or anything (laughs) like that. In Um, response to the robot uprising. Yeah. But you know, it certainly, it certainly, um, feels a bit, um, it, it could be real. It could be, it could be a parable. It's, it, they kind of, they kind of leave it up to you, which is probably a smart decision on their part for it. I think, um, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's sci-fi. And so it, um, you know, I think a lot of it is open to interpretation. Um, but it, it, it's a good movie overall. Uh, you know, Brandy and I both really enjoyed it. The biggest critique I would, I would have of it, um, is that, it's you know it's a really interesting premise. I even feel the the story arc. It kind of does this uh, Robin Hood, Bonnie and Clyde kind of thing with the story. Cool. Um, and with people stealing time. With people stealing time and stuff. You know, so it's it's a, it's a really interesting <laughs> nice. thing. Um, uh, uh, and, and you know, we really enjoyed it. And and you know, Justin Timberlake is really good in it. And uh, you know, everyone is 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 pretty good. The two things that I would really say against it. Um, is that it really it's really in love with its own conceit that's at the center of it all the whole time mm-hmm. conceit of it all and I think that that it both really likes this idea and is worried that people really aren't going to understand what's going on and so every line of dialogue um really tries to drive home this time concept. Interesting. Um, and, you know, and at first it's good, but then eventually you start getting into it. Like, uh, there's this character who is um, the timekeeper. 
um, which is basically the police. They're, the timekeepers are the police, okay. and they're the people who try to keep order it. amongst the time, if you will. Okay. Um, and um, um, Cillian Murphy is is the oh, uh, cool. the actor who plays him. He can uh, be in more movies, for as all I'm concerned. Yeah, and, and you know he, he's just fine. Uh, he, but his his dialogue is just a little over the top, and and <laughs> literally in this movie there are probably three or four instances where he says almost the exact same line of dialogue, which is something like, um, I'm the timekeeper. I keep time or something like that. (laughs) And you're just kind of like, "Uh, okay, you know, you're the timekeeper and we get that you're like, you know, maybe some, one of the less uncorruptible ones you're actually in this to keep time as opposed to all these other people who have all these other various things. But eventually you're kind of like, we, yeah, you know, we kind of get it. It's like, you know, you're this character and, and it's kind of like that throughout the whole movie. There's, there's a lot of instances where if people are having a conversation about what's going on and instead of having a real conversation about what's going on, they kind of get into this, this little thing that kind of reminds you that, that don't forget that there's this time element to everything. Here's <laughs> right, time, right. time, you know, and, and that just gets a little, um, distracting and, um, ultimately I think bogs down the movie a little bit. I think it slows hmm. it down a little bit. And in, in some places there's some, probably a couple of sequences that could have been trimmed. It could have been a slightly shorter movie. I'm, this is something I don't normally say. I think a lot of movies could usually stand to have a little bit more to them. Mm-hmm. Um, this there. One, this, <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, this one feels maybe a little long. And and just like it, its, its story arc is good. It has interesting characters. Uh, but it never quite hits its groove in the dialogue department, mm. is, is kind of what I would say. That's too bad. Um but that said, it's it's a, it's a fun little movie, um, you know, worth your time. It's it's an interesting concept, and you know, and, and Brandy and I talked about it in the car most of the way back home. So um, cool, yeah. You know, the other thing I will say about it is that, um, and this really has nothing to do with the movie, but just going to the movies, um, is that we had a really, really, really horrible theater experience. Oh, and um, and and I say this, it. it you know, it, it wasn't like the, the, the theater experience from hell or anything. Mm-hmm. But, like, we walked into the theater, and, um, you know, this is a theater we've probably been to, uh, you know, uh, dozens of times. I mean, this is where, Scott, you and I went and saw uh, the the Pirates trilogy back-to-back once. Yeah. Um, when, when Pirates 3 came out. And, you know, so, I mean, you, you know this theater. Yeah. You've been it's to a, it. It's a good theater. Um, but going into it this time... Um, you know, we went into one of their theaters that we hadn't actually been in in a, in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we walked in and, like, the floor was horribly sticky. Oh. And, um, you know, and you sat in the chairs and they just felt like, you know, thousands of people had sat in the chairs before you. And um, the movie started projecting and you know the trailers and everything beforehand and it was just really horribly dark and dingy and and you know you could tell it wasn't being projected in the way it was intended to be right and it, it was just it was just like every little thing about the theater was was a really rough experience and which was very odd because we've been to this theater so many times um just not this particular room in the theater mm-hmm. and um I don't know. It, it it reminded me of of uh, what a movie going experience should be. Yeah, it was very frustrating for it not to be that. And uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I don't have crazy high expectations. However, however I am because I mean, I'm, this is a place I'm going to go in. I'm going to sit down and stare at a wall for you know ninety minutes to three hours, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to leave. But that being said. I've spent $10 per person to walk in, you know, to spend time here. Um, and that, that's horrible because like, it puts you, it, it takes you even longer to get into the movie when you can't, when you come in there and like, yeah, like you said the floor is sticky or if you walk in, like sometimes I've walked in and like people's garbage is still mm-hmm. like their used popcorn bags are still in the chairs and their, their soda cans are still in the, uh, the armrest. And you're just like, oh, come on guys. <laughs> 
Exactly. And, it, you know, it just, it, um, I mean, this was also a discussion that, that Brandy and I had kind of on the way home. Like, you know, how much are we, do we really, do we really want to pay, you know, 20, 25 bucks to go see movies yeah. or can we wait? six months and then get them on DVD or how much stuff do I really need to go see in the theater? And Oh, absolutely. Um, Kelly and I have had that. We had that conversation a while back where we kind of started rating movies and now we'll watch mm-hmm. a trailer and we'll just kind of go, is this a, a full price trailer? Like we will go see this on Saturday night of opening weekend. Mm-hmm. We are willing to put up with all of that. Or is this a matinee or is this, we wait for the cheap theater or we wait for it on Netflix or we wait for it on DVD. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, and a lot of movies are slowly kind of trickling down to, we can wait on that. We can wait on that. Yep. Um, and, yeah. and, uh, anyhow, I just, I, I say all of this here in a public forum. Uh, you know, I hope that maybe there's some, some theater owners listening. You know, I know it's not all theaters. Um, mm-hmm. I've been to some wonderful theaters, but uh, just in general, uh, just a reminder, it really is a full experience, and uh, you know it's the, really, the, the it's, strength of the movie is not going to carry the entire experience, and and part of it lies on the theaters and the theater owners. So uh, step absolutely. up your game. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, because again, we're paying a lot of money to come there, and I know they might not. I've heard you know they don't make a lot of their money from the actual movie ticket price. But it really puts a damper on things when you walk in and it's, you know, not being taken care of. Mm-hmm. I would, I would you know, I'm willing to pay $10 a person to go see a movie, um, but I would rather see theaters sit up, step up their game um, as opposed to 3D, you mm-hmm. know, or something like that. I'd rather the Rave or one of these local theaters go, uh, we're not going to do 3D, but what, we're, what we are going to do is give you comfortable chairs, clean floors, this, 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 and this. Yes. I would go to that theater every time. Exactly. And I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, and this wasn't the worst theater I've ever been in. And, and honestly, if it had just been like sticky floors or, you know, worn seats or whatever, you know, that's, right. you kind of expect some of that. Cause, Everybody cause, has their off yeah, days. Yeah. But when it comes to projection, this is where I really draw the line, is, is projection, especially now that we're in the world of digital projection, yeah. um, there's no reason for it not to be perfect every time I watch the movie. I'm sure you've heard this. I'm, I'm, I have never had this experience, but apparently it was going around for a while where there were certain theaters that were set up for the 3D mm-hmm. um, projection and like people weren't at the theaters they weren't switching out the lenses in between films Mm -hmm. and so 3d films are considerably darker yeah um, due to the splitting and so they wouldn't switch out the lenses and so you would have non-3d movies that were far too dark yeah well i'm I'm certainly willing to believe that that is what was going on here or (laughs) i've heard of of people underpowering lamps and and their Mm -hmm. projectors or you know whatever uh there was something uh, you know, uh, something, something was wrong. wrong. It wasn't. It wasn't quite bad enough for me to go complain, and so now I'm complaining here. And maybe that's not fair. Maybe I should have gone and complained to customer service at the time. But um, yeah. you know, we were on a date, and it just kind of. Yeah. So anyhow, but you've cl- and you've upset my dogs. They've heard all of this, and they are barking. <laughs> I apologize if they cut into this at all. <laughs> they are a bit, but. Um, Hopefully, our listeners are dog lovers. <laughs> are you a dog lover or a cat lover? Weigh in. <laughs> um, let's see. The other thing that uh, I've seen here recently is uh, I started watching, well, I, I have watched now the entire first season of AMC's The Walking Dead. Um, yes. I, I, I want your opinion on this because um, I know, by and large, you are not much of a horror film fan. I, we've had that conversation before. Sure. Um, and and so I, I, I've even not recommended this show to you because I've really enjoyed it. But I was like, ah, that's this isn't a Lawrence, you know, Creek. This isn't a, this isn't his thing. Um, but go. All right. Well, here's kind of uh, I'll address kind of maybe horror first, and then get into this show in in specific. Um, to me, horror, I can. I don't, I don't mind things that are disturbing or that challenge me or that um, take me out of my comfort zone when it comes to a movie. I'm, I'm okay with all of that sort of thing. Uh, where I really disenjoy horror um, is kind of the... Uh, the, the unlevel playing field that it kind of creates. Um, 
it's it's all of the cards are really stacked in the filmmaker's corner with a mm-hmm. horror movie, and I'm kind of at their mercy. And to me, that doesn't that's not really an enjoyable experience. And then when you take that and kind of take it into a lot of the horror that has come out in the last few years, you know, kind of the 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 torture mutilation kind of things and mm-hmm. you know that stuff just it, to me those are images that I really don't need in my head and right and I could, yeah so so that sort of thing I really don't go for um, things that are a little bit more in the classic vein um, I can deal with a little bit better you know a good vampire movie or something I, I, I'm, I'm there occasionally for something like that mm-hmm. um, but once again, you know, it 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 has to be something. To, to me, there's not enough reality in a horror film to really mm-hmm. justify to really justify being scared by it. You know, I don't, I don't really, I don't know. There, there's something about it being, I don't know, demons or you know, possessed videotapes or whatever. <laughs> right. um, that at some point, I just kind of go, you know what? This is so not worth it to me. Um, which is maybe not fair to the genre or whatever. Um, I I think that there is something to that, though, and I think there's probably more people out there than we would even guess that are kind of like... I I feel like I'm kind of in the same boat with you. Like I I enjoy a good scary movie, Mm -hmm. and I'm willing to suspend my disbelief on certain subjects or ideas, Mm -hmm. but my worldview and belief structure is such that it really... I have a really hard time believing in anything mm-hmm. when it comes to like some of these more supernatural kind of creatures, when it's a Freddy or a Jason who keeps dying and coming back, I just go, well, this is clearly dumb. That would never happen. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, sure. And, and even something like the screen movies, which I think I've seen all of them um, at this point. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's new ones or something coming out that a fourth one just came out, Yeah, which I haven't seen, but um, you know, those just frustrate, frustrate me because the characters in them are so dumb. Um, there was, I don't know if you saw, um, this last week, uh, the Halloween episode of Community. Yes. Uh, but there's a part where Abed is telling his story, his mm-hmm. horror story. And, um, and in general, the concept is that there's like a murderer on the loose and they're at this cabin in the woods or something. And so everything he does is like completely logical, completely logical. He's like, what was that noise? Oh, I'm sure it was the killer in the woods. What should we do? Let's stand back to back in the center of the room holding knives. You know, I mean, this is right. like, this is like what they do. And it's, it's the most, you know, they lock the doors that they, they <laughs> and this is what they do. And yeah. it's, it's completely logical. And it's what you should do in every one of these situations instead of venturing out into the let's woods. Let's go find it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm going to go check on the boiler because we need hot water, whether or not there's a killer or, you know, it's those sorts of things just drive me crazy. Yeah. Um, and so, and there's so many movies that do that. And, and uh, the completely manufactured scenes or sequences that are there just to put our quote unquote hero in danger. Right. So, um, so that's some of the stuff that frustrates me about horror. I mean, we could probably devote an entire episode to, to this and I could think this stuff out a little bit more uh, thoroughly if you want to at some point. Yeah, at some point it might be fun to do kind of a genre-specific podcast. Um, But, you know, that's it. Um, I also can appreciate when a a horror film is good. I just don't think many of them are. I concur. (laughs) That's that's kind of where I'm at with that. Um, So that kind of brings me to The Walking Dead, um, which is a zombie show <laughs> at, its, at yeah. its core. I mean, this is what it is. is, is that's, the, that's the broad stroke of it. It's yeah. a zombie show. And um, at the same time, I will completely argue that if this is horror, it is the absolute best kind. Because in my mind, it's much more of a... Um, it's It walks that line between science fiction and horror in mm-hmm. that science fiction... I think at its best, and, and probably horror at its best too, probably does this exact same thing. It's just I don't think much of the genre actually does this. Mm-hmm. Um, is supposed to create an alternate reality that creates um, discussion of greater concepts. 
Absolutely. I, I would say um, George Romero's early uh, work, the mm-hmm. early zombie movies that he did, each movie was kind of specifically about a social issue. Exactly. And, think, and even the first Alien film has a lot to say about um, the roles of gender and all that kind of stuff. But we'll get into that when we cover the movie Alien. But right. Yeah, I, would, I definitely agree. Exactly. And... Um, and this is a show that really does that. I think it's you know it's very character centric. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it it is it could be any. Uh, you know it happens to have zombies, but it really could be any uh, post-apocalyptic scenario. I mean, instead of zombies, it could oh, yeah. be some virus that this is going be, around. This I mean, it could be Twelve Monkeys, the movie, uh, yeah. the TV show. <laughs> yeah, you know, it could be. Um, you know, uh, meteors hit the earth and they're trying to avoid, you know, hot zones or something, you know, whatever it is, you know, it just happens to be zombies in this particular case, um, mm-hmm. which are scary in and of themselves when they, you know, cause it's, it's scary to think, you know, I would probably be one of those if this happened right mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, the chances are I would be that instead of one of the hero characters. And chances are all the hero characters will become that. Yes. Um, <laughs> And that's something very interesting about this show is how little hope there is in it. Because for the life of me, I can't see how they're going to ever actually survive this. Have you seen any of season two yet? I have not. Okay, because the second episode just aired and it addresses that last sentence of yours to a T. I I cannot spoil anything about that second episode because it is so... It might be the best episode of the show yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is this conversation that goes throughout the entire episode of, um, what's the point of living if this is life mm-hmm. basically. So, um, anyway, all of that said, I, I've really been enjoying it. And, um, you know, and this isn't really a, you know, this is not the show that we're here to talk about today. And we've already been on this podcast for half an hour, <laughs> but, um, and we could make a completely AMC centric, uh, podcast at some point. If you'd like, I was going to say between this and, and breaking uh, bad breaking and mad men, we could probably just cover Whoa. all of those. And, um, AMC, I have to say, I don't know where they came from, how they did it, but my hats off. Yes. <laughs> Way to step up, not just step up the game, but like completely change the game. I think, the, yeah, for, kind of redefine the game to be what you want it to be. And it's mm-hmm. astounding to watch all of these other sh- all these other networks scramble to try to emulate or to respond to AMC. And I just, I love it because they're, they're doing stuff that you would think only HBO and Showtime could do, but they're doing with stories instead of sex mm-hmm. or language. They're like, here's this interesting concept. Let's go with that. Exactly. So, um, Anyways, yeah, so that's that's what I've been watching and enjoyed. So, uh, yeah. little. I'm glad you're enjoying it because it gives me someone else to talk to about it. Um, I've I read a lot of the comics before I ever saw the show, and so that's kind of how I got into it. Um, Robert Kirkman um, wrote, is still writing the sh- the series actually the comics, and it's a really just gripping black and white comics book series. And uh, so I've actually stopped reading the comics because I enjoy the show so much that mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil myself. That being said, I probably have the next five seasons figured out of yeah. where the show's going, if it keeps going, because I have read that much. Now, my understanding, though, is that the comics and the show do diverge quite significantly from each other. I would say, uh, yeah, a very resounding yes and a very resounding no. Okay. Because, like, for example, most of what you saw in season one did happen in the comics, but they did like they didn't go to that uh, that place at the end of season one. The uh, mm-hmm. is it CMC or whatever that place was? The Center for Disease Control. Yeah, that wasn't in the comics, but like all the characters are, and the way they respond to situations are exactly out of the comics. The racist on the roof, mm-hmm. um, I don't remember him from the comics, but like everything else completely is and now where they're at in season two is exactly where they're at well that where, where they were at in the books after atlanta like they leave atlanta and then they go to a farm basically that's not spoiler but they end up on a farm and um that's exactly where they're at so it's like they're they're definitely kind of following the story structure but allowing the writers to kind of have some free reign within yeah, that like, here are the characters you're playing with don't feel like you know the comic book is definitely not a storyboard i would say it's mm-hmm. not like sin city or some of these other uh adaptations we've seen it is very much it, they are allowed to do their own thing mm-hmm. all right so 
Anyhow, <laughs> indeed. Uh, speaking of good films, uh, let's get into number 92 on AFI's top 100 list, Goodfellas. Yes. Um, <laughs> there was a segue for you. How'd you like that? <laughs> it flowed perfectly. Um, Goodfellas, if you haven't seen it, uh, Ray Liotta plays the main character, Henry Hill, based on a true story about a group of friends who are working their way up through the mob hierarchy. Or... If you are, if you get your movies through Netflix, they will spoil the entire movie for you. <laughs> Yet again, like, and um, I know we've given Netflix a hard time. I know all uh, society has, but seriously, guys, come on! Could you just explain the first act of put that on the envelope? Because they literally say. Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro chew plenty of scenery, but the focus of this gripping Martin Scorsese opus is real-world mobster Henry Hill, a gangster who dreamed of making it big, but landed in the witness protection program instead. <laughs> and there's your whole movie. That's Basically, it negates the whole film, and he ended up in witness protection. And the witness protection part of this film is literally the last mm, two minutes of yeah. this almost three-hour movie. So it's <laughs> like, why would you put that on the envelope? I mean, it's, you don't need to, you don't need that because that's not what this film is about. It is, but it completely isn't. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I, that, that just, it, just, it makes me so angry. Like I, I'm getting on board with people um, with spoilers a little bit. Like I, I've come to under, appreciate a certain amount of knowing what's to happen. Like mm-hmm. there was a time I really wanted nothing that I would even avoid trailers because I just wanted to walk into a movie, not knowing anything, but I've kind of also come to appreciate kind of walking into a movie knowing, Oh, this is about a guy who works his way up through the mob and it all kind of, it breaks bad. It all goes bad for him. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. To me, that's not a huge spoiler. That is kind of the story. And you have yet to actually find out what decisions he makes, what happens, why things go bad for him. So I'm okay with a little bit, but come on, don't tell me the conclusion of the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed. So uh, the film itself, um, <laughs> released in 1990, yes. uh, there is a lot of people who consider this probably the height of Martin Scorsese's career. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the height of gangster mob movies. I know this might contend with like the Godfather, mm-hmm. um, but this is definitely like, I don't know. And when you, when you say Goodfellas, everybody always goes, Oh, I haven't seen that. Or, Oh, Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's very little, um, eh, Goodfellas. <laughs> you don't hear that reaction very I've often. I've heard of that. That's the one with the three pigeons in the park, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, there's some reasons for why it is on this list and why it is it has that reaction for people, you know, why people yeah. really seem to love it. Um, I, I would almost... I'm actually kind of surprised it's so low on the list. I mean, I know there's a lot of great films on this list, but considering how loved it seems to be, I'm, I was actually kind of surprised. Yeah. Um, it has a lot of really really good stuff going for it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it is, it, I mean, it came out at a time, uh, you know, 1990 uh, was a point um, where, you know, Hollywood was kind of shifting around. We had kind of come out of the eighties with like this whole blockbuster kind of thing. And we were getting ready to roll into, you know, this whole new world of, of computerized visual effects coming up here shortly in the nineties. Yep. And this is just kind of a classic, sort of film that hit in the middle of all of this, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's timeless in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, it's timeless because it's also largely set like in the the Mm fifties and the sixties and then in the eighties. Um, it's timeless for that, but also it doesn't really feel like a movie that was made in any particular time period. Like if you get into the eighties, you can definitely see certain things and certain movies feel like a lot of eighties movies to me feel very dark and gritty nineties movies. They start getting a little bit brighter, even though it, they retain a certain realism. This is made in 1990. It's almost as if it took like the best of both decades somehow, or it was like, it just straddled that line just right. So that it is its own film that is not beholden unto any time period. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it used a lot of really fantastic, um, pieces of, of filmmaking to, to do that. I think, I mm-hmm. mean, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, Scorsese is definitely a student of film history and, and of the art of film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this used things, uh, you know, obviously everyone thinks of, of the big steady cam shot. In oh this, man, you know, which is something that I, I knew. Like, yeah, I've seen. I, yeah, I'd seen this movie before, and went, as soon as it started, I went. I, I kind of nudged Kelly, and I was like, "Pay attention, watch what's about to happen." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. Um, you know, that is that's kind of one of the quintessential moments of this. Is is there's a moment um, where Ray Liotta uh, takes his his. Uh, is it his wife at that point or his girlfriend? Uh, I think it's. I think they're still dating. But yeah, I do too. Uh, but he takes her into this club. Um, yeah, and the camera shot starts from across the street. Like they cross the street, they go around. It goes, and then they go downstairs. Instead of going through the front gate, the front door, they take a little side door. They go downstairs through the kitchen, up into where do they go from there? I mean, just through like the entire building, basically through the entire building, all with all, all the way to like the front stage to, to their table, where like they the the wait staff are so impressed by this person, like they bring out his own table for him. Yeah, and you know, it's it's a wonderful sequence because it's it's technology that didn't necessarily exist significantly as well before this. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. um, you know, it's it's a huge it's a huge take. Here, uh, you know, involving a lot of extras, a lot of, and a extras, lot of, a lot of time actors, performances. Where when they walk in, the the table shows up, and mm-hmm. the band is in full swing, and everything is just going right. And so it's it's a huge moment in this from from just a technical aspect. It's something that might not have happened in a movie, you know, five or ten years before this. Uh, you know, Steadicam technology had been evolving, and, and you know, it was at a point where you could do this, some of this stuff. You know, camera sizes were, were coming down and, you know, all of this sort of thing. Um, it's also a wonderful storytelling mechanism at the same mm-hmm. time. It's, you know, it's at this point in this movie where, um, you know, up to this point, he's been trying to to get into the system and stuff. And this is really a moment where Ray Liotta's character is kind of showing off at this point and kind of going like, I've made it. And this whole sequence reinforces all of that mm-hmm. into kind of this thing that's also, you know, ex- maybe explaining some things to his girlfriend at the time. You know, she doesn't necessarily understand who he is entirely until this happens. And, and it's, you know, it's just a very revealing moment for all of the characters involved. And this, it, yeah, and this is the scene where you as the audience really get it as well. You get it and you're on board. You're mm-hmm. like, wow, okay, okay. I guess. let's do this. So, uh, you know, Scorsese uses, uses stuff like that in, in brilliant ways. It's technology that is both an amazing filmmaking achievement while at the same time being fabulous storytelling. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah. it's the perfect marriage of everything that a film should do. Mm-hmm. And and so that moment that's that's why that moment in this movie is so talked about is because like, yeah it's kind of the whole movie does this but that that scene is like the quintessential moment of that for this movie. Yeah and I would say it's almost bookend with the other great camera mo- movement which is a little bit more subtle in the diner when their world changes because one of their friends just died um they're sitting at a table and it's that um I never know what to call the actual motion. It's like, we call it like the vertigo shot or mm-hmm. whatever. It, where the, the camera, what they're doing is they're pushing the camera in towards the table, but as they're pushing in, they're zooming out. And so it makes the image actually look like it's getting crushed a little bit. Yeah, it, kind of, it kind of compresses space. Yeah, like the, the background seems to get closer to the main focus of the scene. And it's, it's kind of subtle, but you get this almost weird, heady feeling of like, I don't know what to do with this information. <laughs> you know, it's like the scene, the image isn't really changing drastically, but it is enough that it puts you into the mindset of Ray Liotta who doesn't know what's going to happen next. It's like, well, if this is happening, then I have no idea what's going to happen next. And it's just fantastic. Like you said, the perfect marriage of technology and storytelling and camera work and knowledge. It's fantastic. Exactly. And if, if, if you take nothing else away from this, I mean, that's why this movie is so fantastic. I mean, at, at its core, is it's, it is this marriage of filmmaking knowledge and excellent storytelling combined into one package. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, there's a lot of other really great stuff about this. Um, 
you know, it's, uh, you know, another thing that, that Scorsese does is he uses music in this movie. Yes. Um, and it's, it's wonderful because it's, it, the movie itself is maybe less narrative driven and kind of, it's a little bit, um, I don't want to say episodic per se, but it kind of takes these different moments. But it, it kind of is. It kind of he kind of stacks these specific moments in Henry Hill's life and kind of shows you how each of those things almost almost as if to say like this by itself is one thing. This by itself is one thing. But all of them combined create a life. If you will. exactly all you combine all of these moments and it, it's going to lead you here. And so um, Scorsese uses music throughout the movie to to help the audience changed time periods yep. to really set the scene of what is going on. Um, you know, there's a lot of incidental music in the movie or, or you know, things that are playing or it's, it's fantastic. Um, his mm-hmm. use of music to just kind of move you to that next area yeah. in, in, in all of this. It's, it's a wonderful way to keep the storytelling going to, to jump you to that next moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's again excellent technical te- technique mm-hmm. that again helps with the storytelling of everything. Absolutely, it's not big, it's not flashy. It's like a, it's a, almost a very straightforward feeling kind of a film mm-hmm. where you don't see a lot of crazy edits or you know special effects. It's just like he uses those slightly more subtle techniques to transition you between oh oh now we're in the nineteen eighties or oh now we're you know one week later without mm-hmm. actually putting on the title one week later. Exactly. Um, you know, so that said, uh, you know, that's kind of some of the, the technical stuff behind it. Um, oh, one other quick thing on yeah. the te- slightly technical side, but just as a storytelling device, this is almost, I feel like this might be the movie, correct me if I'm wrong, um, where I feel like this is where it really became popular to start the story um, at one moment and then to catch up to that and then, then go back and catch back up to that moment. I mean, I know other movies like Gandhi and, you know, kind of started at the end, so did Citizen Kane. Um, but this this takes, like, a specific moment at the climax of the film and puts it at the beginning of the story. And then it kind of goes back and goes, this is how we got to... It gives you the context for that moment. And then it moves forward from there. Right, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it, like you said, there is definitely... Yeah, I'm, not saying it, it had, I'm not saying it never had been done before, but I think this is where almost everybody seemed to notice it. Yeah, that makes sense. I can I can roll with that. <laughs> <laughs> or I might be making it up, and I just I just that's maybe when I noticed it. I'll say that. I'm I'm willing to roll with it though. <laughs> um, but I, you know, and, and that brings up another thing is, is kind of the narration of, of this piece. Is it really does use um, it uses an interesting technique of having two narrators. I was about to comment on that. Yeah, um, which is both really effective because it gets you a couple of different sides of what is going on with everything. Um, and so it can give you insight to a couple of characters that you might not get if that character was telling the story. Uh, What I loved about it and something I think, and I loved about, I loved it. And Kelly really is the one that kind of my wife really made me appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And she's the reason I kind of loved it is because as, as I'm watching it, I'm kind of marveling over Henry Hill mm-hmm. as I think a lot of guys kind of do when they watch movies like this, they kind of look at those guys who are getting all of this respect and go, wow, that's so cool. But then like you're sitting next to your wife or your girlfriend and they're like, what does she see in that bum? He mm-hmm. is a killer. He is a, you know, he is an awful human being. And then about halfway through the movie, the narration switches to the girlfriend who becomes the wife. And she kind of says, I have to admit, it was kind of hot. And it's like, as soon as she says that, Kelly goes, yeah. (laughs) It's like she kind of, and I appreciated that, like the switching. It's not just another man talking Mm -hmm. about this very male-dominated culture. It's like it switches to his girlfriend and his wife start telling the story a little bit. And it helps, I think, draw in that other side of the audience who often gets ignored in this kind of a movie. Mm-hmm. It also sets up a really interesting thing where you don't necessarily know um, you don't necessarily know where the movie is going to end up because of that. It, you know, yeah. um, you don't know necessarily if Ray Liotta's character is going to survive the movie entirely because suddenly we have this other narrator. And so what does that mean? You know, it adds a little bit of of some of that kind of thing to it as well, which is, 
yeah, it, it take it adds a little extra edge to the story mm-hmm. where. So it's it's a, again a wonderful device, but at the same time has some really fantastic storytelling um, mm-hmm. elements to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, this is really a movie. Um, you know about it's it's again it's maybe less about the story and what it's like to be in the mafia, um, and it's really an objective sort of movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's, uh, you know, I think the something like The Godfather and, and a lot of other movies have kind of a moral aspect to them that, um, you know, there's a certain amount of judgment or, um, you know, social commentary or what have you inside it, kind of. And, you know, this is really a movie that just kind of says, here's this world. Um, some of it may be shocking to you as the audience, but at the same time, we're not here to judge. This is just, this is these characters and this is their world. And, Maybe. And I, 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 I think I agree. And I might need to watch it again with this new information. <laughs> but, but I kind of felt like it did judge them for getting involved in drugs. Like, I felt like once they kind of got to that part of the story, I kind of felt like that was the downfall of his life almost. Like... Well, I think I think the judgment there is that maybe that's just coming from me. <laughs> no, I, I I would agree, but I think the judgment there is less um, about their choice in lifestyle. I, I think that that is intentionally the turning point for the character into you know this really bad place, if you will. Right. Um, and so I think it's it's part of the story for that to be judged, as opposed to um, you know judging them for being mafia or whatever it's it almost seems like it it just you're saying it just so happens that the downfall of his life was getting involved with this and that's what led him to the next event right as opposed to a movie about somebody who who gets into drugs and that's bad right to to me that's kind of how i would take it okay and um I i can roll with that and uh you know even even kind of within that you know it's not saying that mafia life is bad necessarily it may be shocking or you know there's bad things about it that you know that that we're shocked by or whatever yeah but it's you know it's even set up in the movie that drugs go against kind of the mafia code or whatever you know so it really is kind of breaking with uh you know where these characters should be headed kind of Mm -hmm. um i don't know that that's kind of for me I know I can I can I can actually totally see that. Um, anyhow, uh, so I, you know, that's kind of a very interesting thing that this movie does is is, and I think, I think this movie set that up to a point where we have a lot less, um, where we have movies and TV shows today that can follow really really bad guys in really. Um, you know, and, and not judge them or just to kind of say, yeah, you know, this is maybe a bad guy, but we're still interested in what he's doing or what's going on or, or whatever. This is why he chose that. That's why, this is why he's here. Yeah. yeah. So I, I really do feel this movie paved the way for something like, I don't know, like a breaking bad or, or things like that, you know, it's, um, or, uh, you know, maybe characters like Al Swearingen on, on Deadwood or something, you know, it, it really, or boardwalk empire, or boardwalk empire as an entire, <laughs> as an entire piece, you know, it, it really does pave the way for a lot of that. I think of, of stuff that maybe we kind of take for granted in our, in our gangster type movies mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, no, I, I agree. There's really not much, really more to say. I mean, for me, there's, there's some neat things in this. Like, if you only know Joe Pesci as the guy from Home Alone, uh, you need to see this movie. This is the highlight of his career. <laughs> it is. Uh, this you know. is, like, the most memorable... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Thomas. Um, <laughs> um, he is absolutely, like, he is just a awful human being, and he is so entertaining in this. Yeah, and if you like him in this, also go watch Casino, in which he plays a very similar character. Interesting. I haven't seen Casino. Well, go go watch it then. I, it. <laughs> I started it once, and I was like, I don't know about this, and I never came back to it. So I need to go recheck it out. 
Um, but yeah, like he's great in this. This is a great like Kelly, my wife. She had never seen Robert De Niro in a movie that's not the Fockers, basically. Like she's like she sees him as like this old fatherly figure, and when he walked on the screen, she was like, "He is gorgeous." <laughs> Who is that? I'm like, "That's Robert De Niro." Really? And I was like, "Okay, you don't get to watch the rest of this. You get to, you have to leave the room now." <laughs> he is like he is a real. You see him, and you kind of go, "Oh, so John Hamm could be the next Robert De Niro." It's definitely a very. It's very interesting to see him in this in this role if you if you've never seen his earlier work and it's weird to call the 1990s his earlier work. I was because it really you know since he he really his early work was like the 70s you know that yeah. really isn't but that's it. But he he's great like I love him yes. and Joe Pesci like Ray Liotta sometimes bugs me like the way he talks and the way he like he treats people and Joe Pesci's despicable but I love Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci in this movie. Um, the scene, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a scene where um, Robert De Niro just gets angry and he knocks over a telephone booth. And the way it happens, I almost wonder if it's a blooper. It's like, I, I don't know if it, he was supposed to knock that thing over, but it is such a great, real scene. And I just, I love it. It's There's so many great little moments in this um, that you probably already know about, even if you've never seen this. Yeah, it's it really is you know that sort of movie that I, a lot of what's in it is um, even if you've never seen it, a lot of it is in our collective conscience. I would say now, as right? And, like, you've seen the Animaniacs. Those I, I kind of referenced it earlier, but the the Good Feathers, those three kind of gangster pigeons who look up to the that Godfather pigeon, they are completely and totally the three leads from this movie. I mean, it's Ray Liotta. Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci. I mean, it's not them playing the pigeons, but the people playing them are completely channeling them. Mm-hmm. It's the the whole every single episode of that cartoon is a parody of this movie. And and like I said, you know, every modern gangster sort of thing, you know, even like cop shows on TV and stuff are are pulling stuff from this movie um, in in one way or another. I mean, you've there's mm-hmm. so many things in it that are, you know, and, and there are so many subtle, you know, references to this movie in other films that, you know, I mean, even stuff like, um, completely disassociated with it, but something like Boogie Nights, or, you know, it, it's, it took inspiration from the, the, uh, the steady cam sequence, you know, oh, and, absolutely. And, and like uses that, yeah, I mean, there's just so many things. You in see other Quentin movies. Tarantino in this movie. I mean, like every time somebody opens the trunk mm-hmm. in a Quentin Tarantino film, it's shot from looking out of the trunk, mm-hmm. and that is almost the like the first shot of this film. It's like every, there's so much of this movie that has clearly inspired current filmmakers that you're going to. I feel like a lot of this is just it's going to feel very natural and very like oh yeah this is just a good movie that has all of these things in it that I like, but you might not even really notice it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah. So, Scott, what would you let's let's kind of wrap this thing up here. What Final verdict. Say? Final verdict. Two things I wanted to mention. One, uh, we had a podcast earlier about adaptation, and this to me is just another great example of how many different ways you can tell the same story. Um, the Henry Hill story was adapted into two movies. One is this one. The other one is My Blue Heaven, starring <laughs> Steve Martin and Rick Moranis. Um, <laughs> My Blue Heaven is about his life after he joins the Witness Protection Plan. And Goodfellas is before, so you can follow this up with the unlikely sequel, My Blue Heaven, which was written by the wife of the man who wrote Goodfellas. <laughs> so, just a note on adaptation. Um, I, I, I can't recommend this movie enough, honestly. Because the second big thing I wanted to touch on... Um, was Kelly had never seen this movie, and I wanted her to see it. Um, so I was like, we're going to watch this, you know, because she's kind of skipped out on a couple of these movies. But I was like, you really, I want you to see Goodfellas. And she was, no, I want to see Goodfellas. Every man I've ever known and I work with loves this movie. And so after it was over, I was like, okay, now, why do you think men respond to this movie the way they do? And we kind of, we started this conversation that um, we have had, uh, several times over the years, and it's kind of 
Now, this is me slightly on a soapbox, which I apologize for, but at the core of most men is this desire for respect, almost more than anything else. Like, you don't have to like the same movies that we like. You don't have to like uh same whatevers that we like. But we do kind of, generally speaking, um, want to be respected by people or by our significant others. If they don't have respect for us, if we don't have respect for ourselves, that's where men tend to start crumbling. And when I look at this movie, it is completely from beginning to end about respect. At the very beginning, like the opening narration is about how, um, as a child, as, as, like, as a 10-year-old or 12-year-old, there were children who would carry his groceries home for his mom just out of respect. You know, They would do this from an early age, and the whole movie is kind of centered around this one man's quest for respect. And in the end, what ultimately leads him to disrespecting those who had once respected him and what and to me i think that is kind of why a lot of a lot of men love this movie is because it's not only something to aspire to but it's also kind of a this chilling reminder that at some point we could betray our uh, our band of brothers our fellow you know our our fellow men or friends that there would come there could come this point there's this line that um you can't really cross. Mm-hmm. And once you cross it, you can't look back. Um, because once you've disrespected somebody, you'll kind of probably lose them forever or for a very long time. And that's just me. I'm not saying that's everybody necessarily. And I'm not going to put that on you at all, Lauren. But um, I say you. It, it's a great movie. And I like it for that reason, let alone the all the wonderful performances and great everything that goes on, even the shocking violence and, you know, the language. It's like, this is just a great movie that I think speaks to a lot of people on a primal level. I was going to say almost a primal level. No, I I would completely agree with that. I think it, you know, um, there is definitely um, something, you know, incredibly um, stirring within the masculine spirit about this movie, you know, it just, it really does kind of hit you, um, you know, very much at just kind of this very base primal level where you just kind of go, yeah, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, I don't necessarily want to go down that path, but at the same time, there are so many things. That I wouldn't. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I think, I think that's really, you know, for me, that that's kind of what this movie is about. Uh, because of the lack of judgment in it, you know, it really is just about, um, you know, how a specific culture that you grow up in is going to shape your values and your life choice, choices and your relationships and all of that. And, you know, and so even though this is a, a, a mafia movie and, you know, there may be aspects of it where you kind of go like that's something I wouldn't want to be specifically involved in yeah you know at the same time you can also see you know going through the choices that these characters make and kind of applying that to your life and you know if I was in these situations how would I choose what would you know, what would my life be like if I came from that place? And then when you start doing that, you can start really applying it to where you are now and kind of going like, what are the choices I'm making? You know, how can I, you know, how can I choose the the correct choices, you know, as, you know, for respect or for, uh, yeah, it's, it's very, uh, yeah, I I would definitely say it's very empowering um, in a lot of ways as a male. Yeah, and I think kind of what you're saying there, I think it can lead to asking yourself a lot of those kind of questions. Like, even if you would never join the mafia, if someone was like, hey, come join this Mm -hmm. family, you're like, no. Mm -hmm. But what, what, where would, what, you know, what what do you you sell yourself on? Like, what would you do for respect? I mean, even in your Mm -hmm. own life, you're like, I'm not going to kill somebody. But to be better and to be Mm -hmm. loved and respected by people, I will do this. Mm -hmm. And are you, are you, uh, betraying yourself and your own morals and your own beliefs because like here's a guy who's raised in the Christian church he's a Catholic and it's like he is willing to do these things mm-hmm. and the his wife is a a, a Jewish lady and she's you know she's denying things and all of this you kind of go 
where do you draw that line for yourself? You know, let this be a morality tale for you. Mm-hmm. The film doesn't judge, but you judge. What do, you know? Where are those lines? Roughly? What yeah. is this? Where are those lines for you to draw? Um, yeah, yeah. It's. I think. I think any movie that can get you thinking, you know, on those sorts of levels, um, you know, I think that's a, a, a mark of a good film to begin with. Uh, you know, I. You know, at some point, film should be more than just entertainment. Not that there's anything wrong with it just being entertainment. But, you know, at some level, it, it is a high form of communication. And, and yeah, it and, should, and, and this movie, I would say, operates at one of those highest levels because it is both excellent entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, it is also a wonderful movie to really get you thinking you know it'll stick with you for mm-hmm. days after you watch it i would mm-hmm. say and and you'll, you'll you know whether whether you think them through as verbally as as we are or not you know i mean it's stuff that'll be there for you mm-hmm. so yeah um you know my verdict fantastic movie um you know definitely definitely uh, worth your rental i'm not saying everybody should own this movie yeah. but but definitely definitely go watch it once i mean it is a R-rated film for a reason is my only... Yeah, and I I almost feel like he put that opening the way he did just to let you know this is what you're getting into, and if you can't stomach the first ten minutes, uh, walk away now. (laughs) Yeah, and and there is some rough stuff in it, but that said, in my mind, it's all completely worth it. Yeah, it's it's so, at times very darkly comical. Mm-hmm. There's some scenes in there that are just like it makes you kind of go, oh, 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 I shouldn't be laughing at that. That's terrible, you know. And there's other things where you just go, oh my goodness, I can't believe that is one sick sob. I can't. Wow. Okay, so that's where we're right now. It's yeah. very. It, you're just after about thirty minutes, you're completely in that world. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Um, I think that's it. You good fellas. So hopefully that helped uh, you get your heads around the movie a bit. Yeah. And uh, let us know what you think about that or about some of our other movies that we've watched. Um, next, next week, we'll be discussing uh, number 91 on AFI Top 100, which is Sophie's Choice, a movie that uh, neither Lauren and I have seen. Exactly. So we're excited to see it. And uh, so that seems like a movie one of us should have seen by now. It really as does. O- as often as it's referenced, as o- like it's, I feel like I know what the whole story is just from society. I was about to say that. Like, I feel I know this whole movie, but I'm I'm really interested to see how it lives up to kind of the things that are in my head about it already. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, uh, we will cover that next week. So, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you uh, next time. Yeah, talk to you then. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 